We have just a short show for you today. I'm on my way out of town. But I'll be here. Mike will be here alone. But we do uh, have a how-to for you. And I was reading recently about uh, the human ear. And one thing that it said in this article is that the human ear is so remarkable, it can detect the difference between the sound of hot water being poured into a glass and cold water being poured into a glass. And we wondered why that is. So on the line with us now is Charles Spence. He's an experimental psychologist at Oxford. He studies this stuff. So, Charles, what, what's going on there? So, um, the reason, uh, I think, why, why hot and cold drinks uh, sound so very different uh, is obviously to do with temperature. And what happens uh, is that temperature, uh, drinks of a different temperature have a different kind of viscosity. And so you will hear uh, that change in the viscosity of the liquid that you're pouring uh, it's kind of having different uh, pitch. Kind of a hot drink from, say, just a, a freshly boiled kettle, when you pour it, or uh, will sound sort of uh, lower in pitch, uh, whereas a uh, ice cold water, say from a jug that's been sitting there in the fridge, uh, will sound kind of crisper, higher in pitch instead. And, and it's amazing. I, I mean, I think that you know, if I were blindfolded and I heard the sound of cold water being poured into a glass, it would make me thirsty that in a way that the sound of you know hot coffee would mm-hmm. stimulate something else that's right so it may be those um i think those sort of sounds of you know uh, uh of opening bottles and cans and containers and uh of pouring are informative and they do set expectations in our mind whether we're aware of it or not um and kind of the hope is maybe that if we if we know this difference between hot and cold sounds can we then perhaps kind of caricature it in a way and maybe make sounds that are perceived as hotter than hot or colder than cold, and by so doing, if, you can, if, I can make, if I can play a sound to that your brain thinks is really, really, really cold, maybe you might imagine that's going to be uh, more refreshing than anything else you've ever tasted. So have advertisers, say I'm, I, I want to sell a cold beer, do advertisers tweak the sound to make it sound colder when I, when I see that ad on TV? Uh, that's certainly the way things are going. Uh, even even the kind of different kinds of carbonation, uh, we know you can tell too. That if I'm pouring you some bubbly sounds, you can probably tell between whether it's soda water or champagne. Really? Mm-hmm. If you read the wine press, you'll find some characters there uh, suggesting that they can tell the difference between a red and a white wine. Really? Just based on sound. And that sounds impossible, but who knows? Maybe there is some difference there in terms of density or alcohol content that changes. Okay, let's kind of let's fade this down for a second before we go on here. We should say that in a typical NPR production of this piece, you would hear lots of crunching sounds because we like to illustrate what we're talking about with sound. We're creating a sound-rich environment. And when it comes to food, whenever you're listening to uh, public radio, you hear people crunching into microphones, which I believe is one of the worst things that uh, we do at NPR. It's a particular bugaboo for you. It's you a, really don't like it. It's an objectively bad thing to do, and all public radio shows should stop doing it. We're going to start here. You're not going to hear any crunching sounds, even though we're talking about crunching. Now that Ian has uh, finished whining, we're going to go back to the interview. I, I wanted to ask you about some of your work, a study that was published in the Journal of Sensory Studies in 2004. Do you, do you remember the title of that? 
the sound of there must be the sound of the, the sonic chip is is is, is the way it's, uh, I remember it now. Auditory modulation of potato crispness or something like that. Can you so what? Just uh, can you mm-hmm. explain what you were trying? Okay. What you were uh, looking at there? So uh, this was um, kind of our, in a in a way one of our first forays into the world of, of multi-sensory flavor perception and, and taking insights from from sort of hearing and vision and how the brain combines those to, to understand uh, our tasting experiences. And what happened is uh, we had um, 20 undergraduates, brought them into the lab, stuck them in a gold soundproof box, and periodically we'd open the door and offer them a potato chip, um, ask them to bite it between their front teeth, and then tell us how crispy or soft, how fresh or stale that particular potato chip was. And each time they bit into a, one of those potato chips, we had a little microphone just by their mouth, and we picked up the sound of their crunch, fed it through some graphic equalizers and a computer, and back in over headphones. So each time they crunched into one of those potato chips, we could make it louder or quieter. And what we found was that people could not ignore what they were hearing. They all thought they were kind of judging the crispness, the kind of texture of that potato chip between their teeth. But in fact, when we made the sound of their crunch louder, they thought it was crisper and fresher. And when we kind of suppressed just certain frequencies uh, above two kilohertz, uh, then we could make the, the, the crisp seem softer and staler instead. Wow. Well, so, Charles, given that there's this kind of auditory component to the way we taste and perceive food, is it, does the type of music we listen to when we're eating, will that make things taste better or worse? Uh, yes, absolutely. In our latest research, we look at this kind of sonic seasoning to say, uh, is there certain music that will not only make food or drink taste better, but which will actually accentuate a certain note in what I'm tasting. Is there music that is sweet? You know, is there music that, that will kind of bring out the sourness? And it turns out that there is music that ma- the majority of people uh, in the Western world and in, in India and elsewhere will say, yes, that music is definitely sweet, or no, that is definitely bitter. Uh, so lower pitch music, um, sort of brassy sounds, uh, tenor voices tends to be associated with bitterness whereas higher-pitched sounds, think tinkling pianos, are more likely uh, sweet. As you were looking at this, do you remember a song, uh, the name of a song that you used um, to try and test out one of these tastes? Yep. Um, so, Nessendorma, the Pavarotti, is good to bring out bitterness in a dark chocolate or a coffee. You could think uh, Carmina Burana is great. Uh, really? Carlo for the bitterness. Okay, so we're going to do this. Uh, grab a... a, a piece of dark chocolate or or a coffee and we're we'll just pause here you you should pause here you we'll should, wait we'll wait don't you worry should pause the podcast you're actually pausing us we cannot move uh, until you hit hit play again once right. you once you do that the show will continue we could theoretically live forever if you don't hit play we will be in a sort of stasis and uh but only in the podcast yeah. All, all our loved ones would wonder where we were, would probably eventually move on. Yeah, they may have already already moved on. All right, hopefully you're back. Uh, you have your dark chocolate or coffee. And uh, here it is, Car- Carmina Burana. This is... The most terrifying cup of coffee or dark chocolate that I have ever eaten. Something bad is about to happen. Yes. That's what it sounds like. The, the devil uh, uh, offered me 
a piece of, of uh, Hershey's Special Dark in exchange for my soul, and I took the deal, and uh, here, here we are. Yep. You are about to pay for your sins, so finish that coffee. This is what chocolate tastes like when uh, the demons are tearing flesh from your body, only to have it uh, regrow and be torn off again. You can't tell it now, but outside your house, an army of devils is amassing, ready to burn it down. The bitterness is really coming out, though. So if I'm trying to bring out sweetness instead, then I'm thinking sort of uh, Mike Oldfield, uh, Tubular Bells. You probably recognize the song because this song, which is the right thing to bring out the sweetness in what you're eating, is uh, the theme from The Exorcist. Which is a movie where the lead character brings out all of her food by vomiting explosively on her bed. I feel like I've been uh, possessed by sweetness right now. Why is it that all the music that we're using to enhance our, our, our dining experience is just freaky? Well, I wonder if really what's going on here is that um, if you know that what you're eating is your final meal, you're going to savor it and the flavors are going to come out. Right. If you are in danger. Yes. That, that there is bad things are imminent. All of your senses are, are heightened. Can you imagine sitting down for a meal somewhere? Someone has lovingly prepared for you a meal and they've invited you into their home. And then for a little background music, it's the theme from Psycho. Hey, I made, I made toast points. And now, now you know, um, there is kind of a, a real excitement about the potential that, because um, I don't know if you if you like classical or R and B or uh, opera, or what sort of music you like, but probably your the technology you carry in your pocket knows all about your tastes and preferences. And as such, if I know what what sweet music is, people are sort of starting to think now: would it be possible, you know, at meal times, uh, for your mobile device or however you like to listen to music, would actually uh, take the science and sort of play for you a sweet selection of music with the hope that it could actually allow you to to reduce the absolute amount of uh, sugar you add to your food and yet keep the perception in your mind just the same. The one bit of music we found that we we really couldn't match with anything at all, people really didn't like it, uh, was um, Justin Bieber. So Justin Bieber was the the one kind of, it was one piece of music uh, that we found just wouldn't match any kind of food. (laughs) Really? (laughs) His old work, I should say, rather than his new album, but... um, Again, I haven't heard the, haven't heard the latter. Well, Charles, this has been fascinating. Thank you so much. That's a pleasure. Okay, you may remember last week we we talked about vinegar valentines, this uh, tradition in the 19th century of people sending mean valentines this time of year. We asked you if you had any you wanted us to send on your behalf. Uh, you've sent us some. And we're going to try it. Uh, Again, these are anonymous, so we're not saying who this is from, but it's to someone named Israel. The the sender of this valentine uh, told us some things about Israel, the person we're sending it to, uh, and we've created a poem, a card, based on that information. Here we go. Roses are red, violets are blue. You have a subscription to GQ. Israel, Israel, I love you a lot. You wear colorful shorts. You should stop. Okay, uh, we're going to do another one here. No names on this one. Hopefully uh, hopefully you can figure it out by listening. Roses are red, violets are blue. Texting me, 
you don't get around to. You have my heart all tied up in knots. I can tell you started a text. I can see the little dots. Just send it. Okay, we we had wrapped up that conversation with Charles Spence, the Oxford experimental psychologist, food sound guy. But there was one more thing that we wanted to ask him about. I understand you worked with Axe Body Spray? Oh, yes. What what were you doing with them? <laughs> so um, Axe, or as we call it in, in the UK, Lynx. I'm not quite sure why different. Um, we're working with them. A few things, actually. We've done um, looking at the sound of the spray. Um, it's a bit like it's a bit like the sound of the chips all over again, but we had people in the lab with uh, wearing little tight pink T-shirts as they sprayed themselves with aerosol, um, and we changed the sound of the spray to try and figure out what would be the best. Um, now, kind of in a context where you know lots of the uh, propellants that were formerly in uh, deodorants were being taken out because to sort of save the environment, then there's kind of real danger that you know uh, aerosols would sound like. <laughs> Uh, what you really want is, you know, for a young young man's spray, it's kind of a um, And so that now is actually built in, kind of the result, from the results of our research, that there was a certain sound that people liked and made them think that that spray was more powerful, maybe more effective. And the other thing we did, which was a lot of fun, was um, a lot of the advertising for uh, acts is that they, this is a way that young men can get the girls, that they're more attractive. And that's been a very powerful message for a long time. But we sort of wanted to know, is it really true? And for that, we were bringing young ladies into the lab in Oxford, um, showing them pictures of men who are more attractive or less. And they had to say how attractive each of those pictures of men was. And sometimes we'd spray the smell of lynx. Sometimes we'd spray the smell of a Greek goat. Sometimes, <laughs> uh, um, and indeed, when um, uh, those young ladies were smelling a pleasant smell like lynx or axe, uh, they did rate uh, the men that they were looking at as more attractive. Wow. So the Lynx effect, in a way, is, uh, is, is real. Wait, can we buy this, the Greek goat <laughs> smell? <laughs> well, there was actually a Greek, I had a Greek, uh, a Greek PhD student, and when she went into the lab to, you know, to, to rate the men, she said, oh, yes, that you know, takes me right home <laughs> to the hillside. <laughs> um, so, yeah, was what, it, what it's formally marketed as, I, I wouldn't like to say. Well, that does it for this week's show. What'd you learn, Ian? I learned. So we, we uh, you and I, uh, probably not on the show, but in our uh, in our social life mm-hmm. together. Sure. We have talked a lot about the ridiculousness of uh, the Axe Body Spray ad campaign. Sure, yeah. And how it is all about that you spray the stuff on your body and it attracts females to you. Yeah, they just, they, they pick up the scent and they're drawn immediately to you. It, it, it is, uh, let's just say it is a gross and ridiculous ad campaign. It has been tested in a lab at Oxford. Yeah. It does make you wonder, and about really all ads, if all ads are actually based on Oxford research. Mm, yes. Uh, studying whether or not it, is, it does taste great or less filling using a bunch of uh, now pretty drunk rats. Yeah. They, add, they taste, spray some goat spray on a beer, and it does it. You know what? It's actually less filling. You know, that's another thing. So... When you think about the research, really, they were testing if Axe body spray is superior to the rank stench of a goat. And yeah. it is. They, they really maybe should have tested it against, you know, sandalwood or a fresh, a, a beautiful flower. Yeah. A, a, a summer day. I think really any of us, even on our worst day, 
would probably compare well to uh, a sweaty goat. Yeah. Huh. Okay, so the Greek goat, not as good. How about this trash fire? Ah, Axe wins again. How to Do Everything is produced by Nadia Wilson with technical direction from Lauren White. Our intern this week is Dan Holden. Dan is in charge of uh, DNA testing at How to Do Everything. And all that means is Dan just reshuffles the letters of his first name and then tests that out. It's You know what, Dan? It's, it's good research. Keep it up. Our artist in residence is Justin Witte. Get us your questions at howto at npr.org. And you can visit our website at howtodoeverything.org. I'm uh, INA. And I'm Mike. Thanks. Hey, this podcast is over. But that's not all you can listen to with your podcasting app. Also out there is Alt Latino. It's a weekly dive into the world of Latin alternative music and culture featuring sounds like psychedelic tropical music from the jungles of Peru. Mexican folk rhythms mixed with electronica. Uh, You can hear from the Latino artists changing and challenging the established order every week on Alt Latino from NPR Music at npr.org slash podcasts and on the NPR One app.